Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 14. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 14. We're in a series dealing with discipleship. Understanding that we're defining discipleship in this case uh, of following after the Lord Jesus Christ. Making the decision to follow after him. to uh, And what does it mean to follow after him? And we've already taken some time to explain that discipleship begins with God. That it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. He is the purpose of it. We understood a little bit more about the miracle of multiplication. And that if we die, that God could use us as an instrument. Uh, just like a wheat. So we could produce much fruit. And we've witnessed that. Now we come to Luke chapter number 15, or 14, Luke 14, and we see a little bit more dealing with this idea of discipleship, following after him. Notice if you don't mind as we start in Luke 14 and verse number 25. Luke 14, starting at verse 25, it says, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and yea and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it, that all, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh again with him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is a great way, uh, great way off, he sendeth ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is mentioned three times in this passage? Now remember, if God says it once, it's important. If it's twice, you need to pay attention. Three, this is vital. And so notice, if you don't mind, three different times in this passage, starting at verse number 26 at the very end, he cannot be my disciple. Again, at the end of verse number 27, Luke chapter 14, Luke 14, the end of verse number 27, cannot be 
my disciple. Once again, in the gospel record of Luke 14, verse number 33, a third time he says, he cannot be my disciple. So the end of verse number 26, the end of verse number 27, and the end of verse number 33, he cannot be my disciple. And with this, I would like to explain the demands of discipleship. The demands of discipleship. Now with this, we have to start off by understanding that there are many misconceptions about discipleship. There are many things that people have a misunderstanding. And we want to clear this up because here Jesus is putting a big emphasis about the demands of discipleship. Now realize that we're talking something different than salvation. In fact, hold your finger here and just let me explain to the gospel record of John. The gospel record of John chapter 8. I just want to emphasize something really quick. For salvation, all that you have to do to become saved is to recognize that you're a sinner. Recognize that because of your sin, you've offended a holy, righteous God and you deserve to go to an awful place called hell. But understanding that Jesus died for you and that you must personally accept Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man shall boast. Salvation is a free gift. There's nothing you have to do in order to uh, be saved other than accept the gift of what Christ has already done for you. Christ has done it all. Discipleship is a little bit different. To put the explanation point on that statement, look with me in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number um, 30. As he spake, so John 8, 30. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. So we have people who believed on him. Verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So he's talking to people that have already trusted him, that have already been saved. If ye continue in my words, then, ye are, um, then are ye my disciples Indeed. So here he's talking to a group of people who have already accepted him. Then he adds to it that if you continue in my words, you're my disciple. He didn't say if you continue in my words, you'll be saved. They're already saved. They've already believed in him. Now he's saying, if you are going to be my disciples, you're going to continue in my words. So as we go back to Luke chapter 14, what I'm, we're speaking about it, discipleship is not salvation. Salvation is just trusting Christ and the promises he gave, understanding that he was going to forgive us of our sins. When we talk about discipleship, we're talking about something else. John 8 spoke about it, it's continuing in God's word. Now, some people have a great misunderstanding of discipleship. As I've traveled around and been around and talked with people, uh, I've heard all kinds of things. People said, oh yeah, I've discipled someone, I gave them a book. Just because you have a book, does that mean that you're a disciple? Some people say, well, I ran them through a course. Praise the Lord. But because you ran them through a course, does that mean that they're a disciple? See, we have to define our terms. What is it 
that makes someone a disciple? What is it, maybe we could say, not what I define it, but how does Christ define it? What does it mean? Three times when Jesus Christ is talking in this passage, notice who he's speaking to. He's speaking in uh, Luke 14 in verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he, Jesus, turned to them and said unto them. Notice he is speaking to multitudes. Not every one of the multitudes is going to become a disciple. We understand that. However, as he's speaking to this, he's giving an invitation, but he is also explaining the demands of discipleship. What does it mean to be my disciple? And here he gives three different instances. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. If you, this is not true, you are not my disciple. So what are these demands? What is it that Jesus Christ is here defining the demands of discipleship? If you don't mind, the first thing that we point out is the must of discipleship. The must of discipleship. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we see again, as he talks into this, he gives us this insight of what it means to be his disciple. Verse number 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother his wife and children, brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, this is one of those passages that when young Christians read, it, it's, it, there's a lot of misunderstanding to it. There are times that someone could say, oh no, to be his disciple, I have to hate my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, and I could see a child looking at their sister and say, well, I hate my sister. That's good enough. I got enough hate for them that, you know, I covered everything else. Is it talking about that we have to hate? If I'm going to be a follower of Christ, you know, I have to hate my wife. I'm sorry I'm married to you, but I'm going to neglect you because I want to follow after Christ. Is that what it's speaking of? Well, some people will say, well, in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish language, they do a lot of comparisons and, and, um, and overemphasizing. And so they will sometimes say, listen, if you're going to follow after Christ, the love that you have for Christ is going to make the love that you have for your wife seem like hate. And by the way, I've heard that, and I think I've preached that a couple times, that, you know, I need to love God so supremely. Well, you understand it's hard to quantify that. And it's hard to wrap your mind. And if you can't understand it, quantify it, how can you obey it? So what is this statement speaking of? Notice again, it says, if any man come to me and hate not his father. So notice we have a comparison. Come unto me, Jesus Christ, and hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren, and yea, and his own life also Notice that last part, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What is his demand here? What is the must? The idea is, is that whenever one of these individuals, including ourselves, conflict with following after Christ, we choose to follow after Christ. That makes it where it's understandable and achievable. What does it mean? That means it comes to the place where if my wife says, you know what? Let's not read the Bible. Let's not go to church today. I'm going to say, listen, I have to obey my Lord. Let's, I'm going to go anyways. Even if it's something that you 
think it's not worth it. You understand, now we understand this idea of discipleship. Because we always have things pulling on us. By the way, notice that last one on the list. And yea, his own life also. When our life comes into conflict with following after Christ, the true disciple is going to choose after Christ rather than their own life. This is the demands of discipleship. is putting Christ first. That he's the one that we're to serve. Even above our own needs. Even above the other things. Now again, we are not saying that this is giving people permission to neglect their wife. I've actually heard people who took this and said, Listen, I'm following after Christ, so I'm not going to be the daddy that I ought to be. I'm sorry, children. That is not what it's speaking about. It's not giving us permission to neglect our families or to love them less. But it is saying that when any of these individuals, including myself, come into conflict with following after Christ, I choose following after Christ. This is the must of discipleship. Christ is first. It's all about following after him. This means that we are emptying ourselves. By the way, Jesus gave this, this example here. Notice with me, if you don't mind, a familiar passage for our church. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Again, this is what Jesus is speaking about. The demands of discipleship. We start with the must of discipleship. Is that we're emptying ourselves... And following after him. Notice if you don't mind Philippians chapter 2. Notice with me in verse 5. Let this mind be also. uh, Chapter 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. So the mind of Christ. Verse 6. Who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So Jesus Christ was God. And did not have any problems claiming to be God. Verse number 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. Here we see this idea of a servant. Jesus Christ, being our example, came down and fashioned himself as the form of a servant. Here is the king of the universe. The Lord of Lords, the creator of all things, made himself. He humbled himself and put himself in the form of a servant. He did not put himself first. He humbled himself. He emptied of himself, became of no reputation, and was obedient. This is the must of discipleship. That we, being in the mind of Christ, see ourselves as a servant. No reputation. It's not about me, what I want. My job is to obey. And that's the idea that it's speaking here. That whenever something contradicts, clashes with following after Christ, the demand of discipleship, the must of discipleship, is choosing to follow after him. Well, notice as we see something else about discipleship, we see the mission of the Lord. The mission of the Lord. By the way... um, To finish off verse number 27. Sorry. The must of discipleship. Verse number 27. And whosoever doth not 
bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Remember, Jesus Christ formed himself in the fashion of a servant. He was obedient to the death of the cross. When someone picks up the cross, they're not saying, well, I have just something that's bothering me. Uh, I've heard one guy say about his wife, well, she's my cross to bear. I just have to endure her. That's not what it's speaking about. When you go, when you're speaking to someone in those Roman days and you say that person is taking their cross, you're seeing them with a death sentence who is not coming back. It is the death to themselves. They are not coming back. That's the emptying of ourself. It is not my life. It is his life. I have emptied my life to be obedient to him. Now we go to the mission of the Lord. Now, once again, this is a passage that becomes very difficult. People like, I don't understand it. And again, if you don't understand it, you can't obey it. You can't apply it. So let's see if we can get an understanding with the light of the idea that Jesus is speaking to multitudes. He's trying to separate them, understanding that some of them are going to follow after Christ. Some of them are not. What does it mean to be a disciple? What is the demands of it? Verse number 28. Which of you... Intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether to have sufficient to fill it. He last happily, after he laid the foundation, is not able to finish it. All that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king would going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able to, with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever of you that hath forsaken not all that he hath, he cannot be his disciple. Now, in this passage here, it's speaking about that what happens if you have a builder that if he's going to build a building does not first plan, how am I going to build it? What am I going to use? The laborers and everything else. And then just so that way when he uh, gets in the middle of building, he can't finish it. And oh, I can't finish it. Now everybody's laughing and mocking. Oh, you couldn't get the job done. Then you have a, another example of a king who's saying, all right, I'm going to go to war with this nation. Can I beat him with the troops that I have? Is this possible? If not, well, then I need to make sure that I come up with peace if I can't get the job done. Because if not, everyone's going to laugh. Well, that king thought he could win the battle, but he could not. Now, a lot of times people read this and say, well, all right, well, then I need to count the cost. I need to go ahead and say, well, is it really worth it to follow Christ? Well, I don't know. Let me count. Well, is that true? What about the king? Well, this idea of battling, let me kind of just think and count the cost. Well, I don't know if I could overcome and whatnot. May I pause and say, this isn't about you. God is the master builder. God is the armies of heaven. Now, how does that apply to us? Verse number 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. What is that dealing with with this? Well, if God is the master builder, he is hiring laborers to get the job done. Okay? So, if he's a master builder, what does he need? He needs employees who are going to work if you're going to get the job done. This is applicable today. How many times do employers complain, oh, I got all these people and I can't get the job done because they won't work. 
they complain, they waste time, they don't get the job done. Well, if you are a master builder who's going to get the job done, so people, aha, that master builder, he couldn't build. That, it's pathetic. Look and see what they have. It's nothing. Well, in order for that not to happen, and God doesn't want his name mocked, he must have workers who are willing to do the job. Who, this is the demands of discipleship. My job is to work for my master. This is what he wants me to do. I am going to do it. You understand this is the idea of being a good disciple is to be sold out to my employer, my builder. How about this? Here comes the general who's going to say, we got a, a war to win. We're building and battling. We've got a battle to go. Let me count my troops and let me see. Oh no, they're just going to complain. Why do we have to fight? This is stupid. I'm not doing it. I'm just, is he going to be able to win the battle with those type of troops? Not at all. It almost makes you wonder who is really a disciple of Christ if all he can get is complaining workers and soldiers who say, I'm not going to fight. Who is it that God can really use? Remember, this is the mission of the Lord. There are things that he wants to get accomplished. And what happens is that most Christians are saying, well, if it's convenient to me, I'll serve God. What kind of boss would allow an employee to say, well, you know, boss, if I feel like showing up, I'll be there. If not, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. Does that how work and employees work? Not at all. Now, again, we're not the master builder. God is. We should be the dedicated workers that he can trust to do what he's told us to do. This is the demand of discipleship, selling out to the Lord. He is my boss. He's there. What type of soldier is effective soldier? Well, God, it doesn't really work for me to go to the battle today. I, pfft, ah, no, no, thank you. Is he going to win in battles if people aren't willing to do the job? Not willing to stand in the fright lines? Now again, it's God that does the building. It's God that does the battling. We're just the one who's working under his direction. By the way, if God is doing the building and he has the workers, can something be done? Absolutely. If God is winning the, uh, running the war and he has people who are dedicated to obeying him, when he, will he win the battle? Will he win the war? Yes. What is the demands of discipleship? It is where we say, God, you're the boss. We'll do what you tell me to do. I'm not looking to serve you when it's convenient. I'm dedicating myself to serve you whenever you tell me to do something. This is discipleship. Following after Christ. It's not just showing up on a Sunday and said, I did you a favor, God. Have you really done anything if you just show up to church? Well, God, I'm going to do you a favor today. I'm going to read my Bible. I did you a favor. Is a work being done around the world because someone decided to read their Bible one day? No. You understand what people define as discipleship and following after Christ is not how Christ decides 
to follow. Then notice this. The men that hear him. The men that hear him. This is important. Verse 34. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is fit, neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So again, what are we talking about? Following after having the mind of Christ, fashioning ourselves as a servant of no reputation, being obedient. We have the idea that God is the master builder. He's the one that's working. That we are supposed to surrender to him and allow him to use us so he can do the building. So he can do the battling. We're the ones who, yes sir, and trust that our master is doing right. And trust his orders so he can get the job done. Not to complain or slack off to do our own thing or just show up when it's convenient. Then he continues with this thought so salt is good. But if salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? So we understand that salt can go bad. And if salt goes bad, what is it good for? If it's chemically inert, it's just there. It doesn't season your food anymore. There's over 7,000 uses of salt, by the way. Wars have been fought over salt. But with this idea of salt, if it's no longer good if it's gone bad. What do I do with it? We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. But if it's lost its savor, what do we do? The best it can be done is just tossed out. It does no good whatsoever. It is fit neither for the land for the dunghill, men, but for men to cast it out. Now listen. If you have someone who says that he's a Christian, praise the Lord. But not following after Christ, what good does he do to God? What good, do, good does he, what benefit does he have to the Lord if it doesn't do what it's created to do? All it's good for is just to be tossed out. It's in the way. Doesn't do anybody any good. Then notice what Jesus says. He that hath ears... Let him hear. Now who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the multitudes. He's speaking to the crowd. And as he's speaking to the crowd, he's saying to them, listen, I want to tell you the demands of following after me. They're high. It's not just, well, Lord, I'll follow you if it's convenient. No, there are demands. There are must of discipleship. And three times he says, he cannot be my disciple. He lists a condition. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. He's understanding that not everyone is going to be his disciple. And to illustrate that, he says, anyone that has ears, let him hear. Meaning that not everyone is going to hear. Not everyone is going to follow. So notice, as he's speaking to the multitude, what is the result of the message? Verse number 35, or chapter 15, verse 1. Then, so in response to Jesus' message, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Notice Jesus said, him that hath ears, let him hear. So he says, listen, I'm giving you a choice. 
You don't have to follow me. But if you're going to follow me, these are the demands that are met. You surrender yourself and you allow me to use you as an instrument. However, I see fit. It's not what you think. It's not what you say. But trust me, I'm going to get a job done. But I need people who are going to do what I tell them to do. This is the demands of discipleship. And listen, if that sounds like it's interesting to you, if there's something inside of you that says, I want to follow Christ, then hear what I have to say. And people said, I want that. I'm choose. You know what Jesus did? He gave an invitation. And people responded. But notice this. There was people that responded. Who responded? Publicans and sinners. So people who were sinners. who People who said, listen, I know that I failed God. And I'm so thankful that he saved me. I want to serve him. I want to hear him more. Because I know what I've been forgiven of. But notice this. Verse number two. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, The man receiveth sinners and eateth with him. This is at the end of the message. Jesus speaking to the multitudes and has given them an invitation to follow after him, but he explained what he's looking for. You had people, publicans and sinners, who responded, Yes, I will hear. I'll be surrendered. I'll be part of your army. I'll be part of your work crew. I'll be your servant. I'll be obedient. But then you have the other crowd. That doesn't sound good to me. I can't believe they would actually say, follow after Christ. Make a choice of my pleasure, my convenience. To <laughs> That's ridiculous. Show up to church more than once a week. That is way out of line. Read my Bible every day. Inconceivable. Pass out tracks? You understand? The two responses is, yes, Lord, I want to be used of you. Yes, Lord, I'll accept the demands. Or, it becomes complaining. Because there's only two responses. There is no maybe. It's either yes, I will serve you, or no, I will not. And if you say no, I'm not, you have to give an excuse or pass off why you won't follow Christ. Easily seen. The demands of discipleship are very clear. It's not dealing with salvation. We understand this is a different matter. It's after salvation. What are you going to do with the life that God has given to you? Are you going to use that life that God gave to you to say, Lord, you forgave me. I'll be your disciple. I'm going to give my life to follow after you. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. I can expect you to win the battles. I can expect you to do the building. I can expect great things to happen. But I'm surrendering myself to you. Or, that's not for me. And let me tell you why. And they'll give the excuse. They'll make... Jesus, no, no, no. That's not what he really meant. <laughs> and you have to murmur. You have to complain. You have to explain it away. Of why you won't choose to follow after Christ. You understand this is a big deal here. It does make you think. Who is following Christ? Many of us are only kidding ourselves into thinking that we're serving him. If we're going to build with him, if we're going to battle with him, we must be willing to obey the commands. 
He that hath ears, let him hear. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.